Welcome to Raining from Rushmore. Today we tip our top hats to the grand Abraham Lincoln, 16th President of the United States. This demigod of a man forever changed our nation into the wondrous land we know today. Though, ladies and gentlemen, the road for Mr. Lincoln was not easy-peasy-lemon-squeezy, but rather it was a true-to-life materialization of an unstoppable force meeting an immovable object. And as always, today's history comes from Cave Painting 4, Iteration 7 of American History. It should not come as a surprise to anyone that many of the gods and goddesses of Mount Rushmore are, to put it frankly, not the brightest bulb in the chandelier. That is not to say they don't fill their roles perfectly, yet intelligence to some is a foreign idea. Consequently, almost all of the gods and goddesses look up to Benjamin Franklin, the god of writ, for life advice and sage wisdom. Thus, it was on June 25, 1745, that Benjamin Franklin advised to his male audience, quote, You should prefer old women to young ones. One, they have more knowledge and their conversation is more agreeable. Two, when women cease to be handsome, they study to be good and learn to do a thousand services, small and great. Three, there is no hazard of children. Four, people are more likely to excuse your affair. Five, in regard to distinguishing an old woman from a young one, in the dark, all cats are grey. The pleasure of corporal enjoyment with an old woman is at least equal and frequently superior. Six, the sin is far less than that with a virgin. Seven, the guilt is also less than ruining a virgin. And eight, they are so grateful. Immediately, across both mount and earth, gods and mortals, the young, beautiful female brides were shoved aside and left alone to endure a lonely life of a spinster, while the widows and cougars of America were driven to extinction as they were jubilantly betrothed and wedded through holy matrimony by every young athletic male suitor across the continent. These male whippersnappers knew good logic when they heard it, and, moreover, Benjamin Franklin was on the $100 bill. He was truly a voice to be trusted. Like a cure to cancer, the United States of America soon became, statistically speaking, the happiest country on earth. As the elderly brides would gather together to sew and drink tea, the young men congregated merrily, where they wrote declarations, drafted constitutions, revolted against their mother government, and played in the swimming pool to work on their tans. And then, 
like a cure to cancer that evolves into a crippling disease which turns the human population into vampire zombies in the 2007 movie I Am Legend, the pool became boring, tans turned into skin cancer, independence was gained, and intense, insatiable boredom set in. Though the elderly wives were indeed so grateful for their husbands, the men wanted more. It was on a hot day in May of 1808 that George Washington sat atop Mount Rushmore. He looked down to earth and beheld the innumerable white families taking land away from the Native Americans. He looked closer to see their little children playing around, giggling, and having fun. He let out a heavy sigh and glanced over to his wife, Martha, the goddess of knitting, who stood in the corner as Andy Warhol, god of portraits, painted yet another self-portrait. Washington, covered from head to toe in hand-knitted lace doilies, began to tear up. This was not the life he had wanted. This was not the future he had dreamed of. All he wanted was some excitement. He wanted a son. One night, in absolute desperation, George descended to Hodgenville, Kentucky, where he met Nancy Lincoln. They talked and talked for hours until one thing led to another and they whipped out the Uno cards to play a few rounds. After winning ten games to three, it was too late for Nancy Lincoln to go home alone, and the rest is history. Abraham Lincoln was born nine months later. As Lincoln began to mature, it was evident he was no ordinary baby. By the age of eight, he had a full beard. By the age of ten, he had Plato's Republic, Machiavelli's The Prince, and the entire King James Bible, all memorized by heart. By the age of thirteen, he was six foot four and two hundred and ten pounds. The boy was a man. Rumors naturally spread about Lincoln's paternity. However, Nancy never revealed that night to anyone. She had planned to tell Lincoln once he was old enough, yet, unfortunately, Nancy Lincoln died on October 5, 1818, when Abraham was only nine years old. Martha Washington rocked back and forth in her chair, calmly knitting a laced doily when the Girl Scouts' corpse returned to report. They had gone to visit the Lincoln family and sold them a few boxes of Tagalongs and Samoas, naturally. Yet they also sold them some special trefoils, which were laced with white snake root. The Girl Scouts advised them as biscuits for cows, and within only a few days, milk contamination had killed Nancy Lincoln. A sinister smile sprayed across Martha's face. Unbeknownst to George, Martha was fully aware of George's infidelity thanks to her superficially harmless cookie-selling, wagon-pulling secret spies, the Girl Scouts of America, who reported to Martha only. Though an elderly woman may be grateful, she can also be astute, for the Girl Scouts of America, led by Hillary Clinton, were then commanded to find a new suitor for Abraham's father, Thomas. It was the obvious solution, since it would be a never-ending fight for dominance between the stepmother and stepson, which would surely decimate Lincoln's future potential. The scouts descended and scoured the earth, looking for the perfect woman. Yet what Martha and her scouts didn't know was that Joan Rivers, goddess of critique and George's second mistress, had been spying on their conversation. 
George had recently become suspicious of his wife's mental state, seeing the embroidery work on her lace doilies had become increasingly violent and gory. Thus, Rivers had been sent to find out what she could. Rivers immediately returned to George to inform him of his wife's dubious plan to destroy Lincoln's life. But unrecognized by George, Martha was indeed aware of George's suspicion, and had her best friend Betty White, goddess of white hair, followed Joan Rivers. Nonetheless, Joan too had noticed Betty White following her and solicited the help of Shirley MacLaine to follow Betty, who was also being followed by Jenna Rowlands, who was being followed by Glenn Close. Irregardless of this labyrinth of underground infotainment, it only took Hillary and the Scouts a few months to find the perfect woman. Sarah Sally Bush Johnson, a widow with three children of her own from Elizabethtown, Kentucky. There, the Girl Scouts disguised themselves as gypsies and erected a small bungalow, which they advertised as fortune-telling. It was on a warm, early autumn morning that Sally Johnson was walking home after dropping her children off at the schoolhouse when she passed by the fortune-telling Girl Scouts and was forced into the bungalow by a rambunctious and particularly violent redhead. Inside sat Hillary. She pulled out a paper fortune-teller out of her pocket and asked if she was a married woman. Sally responded with a sad, Widowed. Hillary retorted, Would you like to know whom you will marry? It is not whom, miss, but who, said Sally bashfully. I will tell you who you will marry. Hillary then began shuffling the paper fortune teller like mad. Her fingers moved so quickly the movements were blurred in Sally's vision. Just then, Clinton's fingers cramped up. She let out a coyote-like moan and dropped the fortune teller onto the ground. The quizzical Sally picked it up to see Thomas Lincoln written on all four options. She was astounded that there was only one man in the entire world she could possibly marry. She demanded to meet him. On December 2nd, 1819, Thomas and Sally were married, and as luck would have it, Abraham and his new stepmom got along wonderfully thanks to a strange man who introduced himself as Mr. Rogers, the God of Kindness. Abraham gracefully adjusted to his new circumstances under this man's tutelage. You see, George Washington had a few tricks up his sleeve as well. Martha fumed in her rocking chair and in her anger granted Alabama its statehood. How could she have failed so miserably? But this war was far from over. No, 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 it was just beginning. In July of 1831, Abraham Lincoln, now 22 years old, faced his first of 11 toils. He was working at the Herdon General Store in New Salem, Illinois, when Martha Washington sent down Kim Kardashian, goddess of appearance, and Zelda Fitzgerald, goddess of flappers, down to a group of young ruffians called the Clary's Grove Boys, who were the regulators of New Salem. The ladies seduced the boys, telling them they could be their friends, if they were to shame Abraham Lincoln. The boys immediately raced over to the store where local legend Jack Armstrong challenged Lincoln to a wrestling match. The boys had no idea they were dealing with a demigod who could easily pummel them down to Jackson in an instant. As Lincoln fought, he laughed and joked to such an extent the Clary Grove boys were astounded by him and immediately welcomed him into the neighborhood as one of their honorary brothers. Old Martha Washington's plan was flustered once again. Not only had she failed to shame Lincoln, but Kardashian and Fitzgerald had fallen in love with a couple of the boys and didn't like Martha's newest Instagram post. 
Without a beat, Martha orchestrated her next move. She forced Elvis Presley, god of bathrooms, to curse the town of New Salem with the strum of his guitar. The town, from that day on, never had more than one square of toilet paper in a restroom. The people began leaving in droves, and the Lincolnberry General Store went bankrupt. Martha enjoyed another victory with the second of Lincoln's toils. Supported by all of his friends and colleagues, Lincoln ran for the Illinois General Assembly in 1832 and was defeated. Abraham was heartbroken. All his friends had said he was the perfect candidate, and yet he had lost. The only consolation was the participation ribbon he received from the State Department. Looking for answers, the downtrodden Lincoln went to visit Harriet Tubman, the oracle, to hopefully learn from the gods. As Lincoln expressed his emotions to Harriet Tubman, she began to quake, and suddenly her mouth flew open and out popped a rolled paper. A terrified Lincoln grabbed the paper tentatively and, reading, discovered the truth of his divinity. It explained how Martha sought to destroy him and how he must prevail over her, for she desired to become the supreme ruler of the universe. Abraham quickly returned home where he discovered a strange man in his living room. He had broad shoulders and the voice of thunder with thick black facial hair. The man stood up and said, Hiya there, kid. Billy Mays here, the god of sales, and I'm here to sell you, buddy. That's right, you. We are going to make you the greatest man that ever lived. And guess what? That's not all. If you don't screw this up, kid, we're going to put you on a mountain. Lincoln beamed to know he wasn't about to do this alone. The days passed, and soon Lincoln was on his way to becoming a stand-up statesman. After months of ubiquitous training, he was finally elected into the Illinois General Assembly in 1834. Life was finally perfect for Abraham. Instead of backbreaking work on a farm or boring labor in a general store, he had finally become a politician, and he had at last discovered a dear, lovely woman to fill the void in his heart. Though she was betrothed to another, Abraham Lincoln and the young debutante by the name of Anne Rutledge had fallen deep in love. She was truly the fruit to his loom. As time went on, Anne's betrothed disappeared completely, and the future was a beaming bright LED light. They talked of their future and the darling children they would soon have. They even went on to house hunters to find themselves the perfect cottage. And, being a maker of hamster wheels and Abraham, with his political income, gave them a budget of some $32 million. They found a beautiful log cabin by Charleston, Illinois. In the summer of 1835, as the young couple and Billy Mays prepared for the move, something wicked was brewing. Martha Washington was sick and tired of people failing her and descended to New Salem herself. There... With manic malice, she performed a bowel movement into the town's water well. Soon, typhoid fever swept through the town like a ferocious, hungry mob of drunk sorority girls desperately searching for chicken nuggets. Many lives were lost, and on August 25, 1835, typhoid took the life of Anne Rutledge. Lincoln was thrust down into a terrible depression, no matter how many times Billy Mays showed him the magic of OxyClean and its unmatched stain-removing power, 
Lincoln continued deaf and blind to the world around him. The next morning, Lincoln was gone. Mays and many friends searched for days trying to find him until at last, a week later, Lincoln was found deep within the Sand Ridge State Forest near the Illinois River. He was chopping down trees and cutting mirrored notches into each end. When Billy Mays asked him what he was doing, the tired and out-of-breath Lincoln responded, saying, You see, it's quite simple. With these pre-carved notches, you can quickly build a cabin or any wooden structure. Though that didn't answer any of May's questions, he was entranced by the idea. Years later, in a dream, Mays would share this log idea with John Lloyd Wright, son of Frank Lloyd Wright, who subsequently marketed the brilliant idea to children as Lincoln Logs. After Lincoln's sojourn, he returned to normalcy and resumed his political career. With Mays on his side, not even the sky was the limit. It was Rushmore or bust. The following years of his life were a warring tug-and-pull between the powers of the proud George Washington and his implacable wife, Martha. In 1836, Lincoln was re-elected into the Illinois General Assembly as the top vote. He helped to give all males the right to vote, even the ones that didn't own land. George won, Martha zero. In 1838, Martha gave him a sore throat, forcing his defeat of the Speaker of the House position. George won, Martha won. 1842, Lincoln, now a reputable lawyer, began to work in the U.S. District Court. George two, Martha won. 1843, Lincoln was defeated for Congress nomination. George two, Martha two. 1846, Lincoln re-ran and is elected into Congress. George three, Martha two. 1848, Lincoln loses renomination. George three, Martha three. 1849, Lincoln is rejected to become land officer, yet begins to practice law in the U.S. Supreme Court. George four, Martha four. 1854, Lincoln is elected into the Illinois State Legislature, but is defeated for U.S. Senate. George five, Martha five. 1856, Lincoln defeated for vice president nomination. George five, Martha six. 1858, Lincoln again defeated for U.S. Senate. George five, Martha seven. It appeared that Martha had finally won. Yet George had one last trick up his sleeve. He sent Thomas Nast, the god of political cartoons, down from Mount Rushmore to make cartoon after cartoon depicting John C. Breckenridge, Stephen A. Douglas, and John Bell as donkeys, publishing them throughout the United States. The gag worked, and in the year of 1860, on November 6th, Abraham Lincoln, against no odds, was elected president. It is painfully clear that George and Martha needed to see a marriage therapist, yet Dr. Phil was out of town. Thus, with nothing to stop her, Martha unified the women spies together, namely Joan Rivers, Betty White, Shirley MacLaine, Jenna Rowlands, and Glenn Close, to form the evil supergroup, the Cougarettes. The women, clad head to toe in nothing but Versace and Gucci evening gowns, disguised themselves as Southern Bells and descended down to Mississippi and Georgia, where they kidnapped the Southern Prince Jefferson Davis and Alexander H. Steffens, respectively. After stuffing chloroform-soaked lace doilies down their throats, they brainwashed the two gentlemen to secede from the American Union before that awful Lincoln would begin his first term in March of 1861. Days later, on February 4, 1861, the Provisional Congress of the Confederate States of America was held in Montgomery, Alabama. Representatives from the states of Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, South Carolina, and Texas were all in attendance. Abraham Lincoln, now 52 years of age, 
realized the Union could not stand as a divided nation and organized a secret meeting between himself and the Southern Princes Jefferson Davis and Robert E. Lee. On the blissful spring day of March 15, 1861, at the Lincoln Log Cabin, just eight miles south of Charleston, Illinois, the three met together. Davis and Lee were mighty pleased upon arrival, for this would soon become the greatest day in American history. In only a matter of hours, slavery would be lawful throughout the entire Union, ensured by its addition to the U.S. Bill of Rights. After some hush puppies and iced tea, the three began discussing terms. Lincoln was hesitant, yet knew this was the only way for him to get reelected. After a few hours of deliberation, the front door swung open. The room was flooded with the sounds of singing birds, rustling trees, and a lovely female baritone singing a rough rendition of Johnny Cash's hit single, Ring of Fire. Jefferson Davis turned to behold the ruckus. What he saw nearly killed him. Standing there, short legs, thick arms, sturdy bass, and lovely childbearing hips was Mary Todd Lincoln. All five feet two inches of her sent shivers through Jefferson's body. His mouth began to dry up and his extremities started to quake. He attempted a hello, but simply vomited on the floor. He followed her with his sulking eyes till she was gone. Davis whipped around and yelled, Give me your wife or the deal is no more. Lincoln choked in disgust and replied, My good prince, she is my wife and she is a human with inalienable rights. She is not something to be given away. And my dear prince, do not think me ignorant of your peeping visual as she passed through the room. You best remember your place and learn some respect. Such behavior is ghastly repulsive. Then you leave me no choice, Davis responded. He quickly rose out of his chair with a squeak, ran into the bedroom, blocked the door with a broom, and snatched Mary Todd, hurling her onto his shoulder. He then pulled out a stick of dynamite, saying, You never know when you're going to need one of these, lit the fuse, and blew a hole through the wall. He leapt through the newly formed passage and scuttered off into the wilderness with his newly claimed booty. Back at the cabin, Lincoln and Lee both equally astounded by Davis's actions, and the dynamite finally opened the door to unveil the destruction within. Lee, a man married to silence, said nothing. Lincoln palmed his face and without looking up said, Lee, this means war. Lee looked up with tears in his eyes. There you have the jaw-dropping early life of Abraham Lincoln. Unfortunately for him, many toils still remain for him to conquer. Will he ever claim his godhood? Will George Washington ever get to embrace his illegitimate child? Will Martha ever be served some justice? Perhaps if you're lucky, dear listeners, you will get to find out. Yet if there is one lesson to be learnt from this tale, ladies and gentlemen, it's to never underestimate a laced doily.